Amen. And turn around and say Merry Christmas to somebody. Amen. Amen. Thank you. And be seated. We had some Christmas greetings this morning uh, from Mike Misland, and he is on his last tour. You hear about all these different individuals getting up in age and going on their final tour. Well, Mike Misland came home to the States from the Philippines after 30 years of faithful service and uh, has had so many things happen with his cancer, his radiation, and uh, as a result, he's not going to be able to go back to the Philippines, but he is going to visit all of his supporting churches, and so he wishes us a Merry Christmas. Well, we pray God's best for Mike and Lenore. Uh, we also have greetings here from Truth and Freedom Bible School in uh, Trivandrum, India, and uh, we, of course, have our own Church Central Baptist Church that we built over there in the interior. And we have greetings also. We received greetings from out on the West Coast from our bilingual Baptist church out there. Uh, Brother uh, Alejo Thomas, who preaches English, Spanish, back and forth, uh, sends greetings. We have greetings from the David Russells. As you know, David Russell is married to Korean. And uh, they are ministering there at Fort Knox. They have reached the Fort Knox area. They've saturated the area with literature, trying to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Kenneth and Don, Donna Reams, uh, who are BIBM representatives down in uh, uh, New Boston in southern Virginia. Likewise, uh, from Brent and Sheila out there in South Africa. Uh, said, uh, Merry COVID. Yes, you read that correctly. I know it's Christmas time, but around the uh, Moeller house over the past two years, COVID has been a part of our lives. Last year it was Brent's turn, this year it's Sheila's. So once again, we'll be in quarantine. At least this year, we'll finish just before Christmas. So uh, they're continuing to serve the Lord in South Africa, and I know they've been hit again and again and again. The Hall family over in Australia uh, serving the Lord faithfully in spite of uh, their challenges that they're facing. Uh, it certainly is a busy time. It's an exciting time. The devil wants us to get sidetracked on all kinds of things. The current events, what's going on, who's going to vote for this, who isn't going to vote for that, who's going to, you know, and all that sort of thing. Let's stay focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not about some fat fellow that lands on the roof and tries to squeeze down the chimney. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ who has already come. Can I get an amen on that? Amen. Absolutely. All right. Tonight I want you to take your Bibles. And as you're taking your Bible, we're going to turn again to the book of Philippians, that great passage of Scripture about the humbling of our Savior Jesus Christ. If you would like to get into the bookstore tonight, we're going to try to make things available for people that are buying for themselves and for others. We do have some of these journals. We've got Thomas Kincaid, Another one called So Much to Thank Him For. This is an engagement calendar. Uh, they're worth $20. We're selling them for $10 as long as they last. And we have Bibles and other good books and materials. And so I hope that uh, everyone will take advantage of our bookstore. Not making money, but uh, praise the Lord, we can operate to benefit folks. All right, would you take your Bibles tonight? Turn with me. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And verse number 5, again, we've been here a number of times even this season, but tonight a little different spin on it, a little different application. Let this mind, which mind? The mind that was in Christ. 
Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. One of my teachers said, always pay attention to the order of words in Scripture because they are not there by accident. The word order in Scripture, we believe, is by design. And here, instead of Jesus Christ, it's Christ Jesus. We know that the Son uh, was given, the child was born. The difference is that uh, Jesus Christ, as far as the Christ, the Logos, the Word, always has been and always will be. Uh, the eternal sonship of Christ is beyond the point of debate. There is no debate. He is the eternal Son of God. He is God the Son. The child aspect begins, of course, in the womb of Mary, nine months before Bethlehem, and then Bethlehem. I have done some more reading on it today, and even from a medical perspective, in every respect, uh, Jesus Christ inside the womb of Mary was kept from any taint of sin, uh, anything that would affect the fact that He is the perfect Son of God, the sinless Lamb of God. So here we have Him coming down, and Paul is writing to the Philippian church. Keep in mind, Philippians were going through a, an intensive amount of suffering in those days of the Roman Empire. They were suffering for the cause of Jesus Christ, as was the Apostle Paul. Paul was in prison, and they were uh, standing for Jesus in intense persecution. So in the face of that, among other things that Paul writes by inspiration, he says, we have an example in Christ Jesus. He comes to earth, and he has this mind that we need to let uh, be in us as well. And then he says, who being in the form of God, he's the express image, we read, the express image of God. That means he's the exact and precise duplicate of God. He's God in human form, but he's in the form of God, thought it not robbery, to be equal with God. This is the only place in the New Testament we have that word. He was not fearful of losing his deity in this coming to earth, this process of humbling. He was not concerned about losing his deity. Many times the concerns that we have, humanly speaking, have to do with our losing status being somehow diminished and uh, not being fully who we know or whom we assume and think that we are. That's not going to happen. Wherever God takes us in His will, boys and girls, young people, adults, wherever God takes us, He provides for us everything that we need, not only in our basic uh, you know, need food, need water, need shelter, need those basic needs that we think of, but everything that has to do with our identification. We have that in Jesus Christ. He will not take us someplace in His will where we are not
who He has saved us to be. He will not diminish us in any way. He will not allow that to happen. God has saved us with this, with this provision. He saved us so that He can live out of our life. But each and every one of us is a distinct individual. We are not robots. We are not, uh, we're not uh, uh, assembly line creatures, but we are individuals, each and every one of us. There's nobody else on this planet now, nor who has ever lived, who is exactly like we are. Everybody is unique. Everybody is different. You are not just a mass of cells, but you are a combination of all of the influences that God has permitted in your life and then in His perfect will as He directs us by the Spirit through the Word, we're becoming that person that God wants to use. Kids, I want you to know this. You're not an accident. God made you. God brought you into this world. God will allow teachers and coaches and parents and grandparents and family members that will have an influence upon your life to help you to become that important, vital, special person that nobody else in the world can be. No one else can fill your shoes. You're the only one. That's why every day we need to say, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? What do you want me to do, Lord? And everything he directs us into is going to be his perfect will, and, and you don't have to be afraid that if he takes you to this place or in this uh, job or in this, in this particular position that you're going to cease to be as vital as you are. He's brought you this far for a reason. And everything, every change that takes place as we're yielded to God is in His perfect will. Don't worry about it. I'll never forget the daughter of a friend of ours who is in gospel music was diagnosed with a, a terminal disease, a deadly condition. And after a time of adjustment as a teenager, this young lady stood on the platform to minister in song. And when she testified, she said, I thank God that he can trust me with this illness. She saw what God had permitted, not as a negative or a de deficit, but as a plus, as a positive. It doesn't matter where God takes us, in what situation, what condition he allows us to be, if he's guiding and directing, we only have to submit. In this regard, we have the perfect example of Jesus Christ. Thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Right? So Jesus Christ, in the days of his flesh, as the writer of Hebrews classifies those days when he was here in that body, that human body yet without sin. He made himself of no reputation. He didn't have to do anything different than what God's perfect will was. And he was yielded to that. Of all the words in the Bible, mystery is the one that we keep seeing it pops up. A mystery is something known only to God. It's God's secret until he reveals it. And then he will reveal it to the degree that we need to understand it. And that's all. And so we don't know everything, every, every detail that, that uh, is to be known, but every detail that we need to know, we know 
about the fact that Jesus came down. You remember this morning I was talking about uh, Jesus Christ when He came, and I refer to this scripture, He laid aside, now get the wording, He laid aside the independent use of His attributes as God while He was in this body, in this ministry. While He was in this body, 33 years plus on earth, He laid aside the independent use of of his attributes. That means he didn't cease to be God. He was always God. But he allowed God the Father to have 100% say. He came to do the Father's will, and the Holy Spirit directed him in that regard. So whenever he did what he did, he did it as the God-man being directed by the Spirit of God, this, the third person of the Trinity, directing the second person of the Trinity according to the will of the first person of the Trinity. Now, that's a mystery. I can't explain the details, but I accept them. I accept that as, as God's uh, truth. The, the application is this. God is not going to put us in a situation that is something to be feared or be concerned about when we're in the will of God. He took upon him the form of a servant. Now that's definitely something we need to check that box. We need to be a servant. Servant's heart, servant's hands, servant feet, going where we're going to need to go. Uh, we need to be willing to do that. I believe part of being a servant is just doing that, taking that step. And unless, you know, God, the Holy Spirit blocks our path, we should find areas to serve and uh, be the one that will initiate that. If the Lord blocks it, then we don't. We were asked to do something this past week by a group of folks that have been locked down since COVID. And so we were able, because God didn't block that, we prayed about it, and we were very cautious on how we did it, but we went in under the radar. And uh, praise the Lord, that the net result of that, in meeting with some senior citizens who had been locked down for one year and nine months, we had six guests in that group, a much larger group than that, but six guests who had never heard us preach, had never been to one of our services. I preached the gospel, and three of them professed Christ as Savior. Being a servant meant we had to do this in a manner that we would not raise the radar, raise the red flags. We had to do it that way for the higher good. The higher and greater good was going in there, gave us an opportunity to win souls to Christ. Isn't that right, Tyler? We went in under the radar and saw three precious souls get saved. All right. This is what I am saying about servanthood. We have to begin with a servant's heart. We need to examine our heart. And whereas Jesus Christ had an emptying, He didn't cease to be God, but He had an emptying. He gives us the example. We need to empty ourselves. Because we're sinners, we have to empty ourselves of every extraneous, untoward thing, every motive that would not be lined up with the perfect will of God. And then we need to put ourselves out there as servants and try to serve, try to help try to do something for somebody, some, find some needy person or persons, and, and, and as the Spirit of God continues to lead us, we go ahead and always, always 
do so on the basis of the Word of God, taking biblical steps, doing things scripturally, doing the right thing in the right way, going the right direction with the right folks for the right reason. Amen. So he, he did that. He made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men. That's just a mystery. It's a miracle. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. So he is the God-man who has emptied himself of the independent use, uh, the employment of those attributes as God, didn't cease to be God, left it entirely up to the direction of the Holy Spirit, the will of the Father, and he humbled himself. Do you realize how important it is for us to humble ourselves? We need to, because the biggest enemy that I have is me. That's what was behind Lucifer falling and taking a third of the heavenly host with him. This I thing, this pride thing. And it's not, do I have pride? Where, you know, in me, do I have pride? That's not the question. The question is, wherein does pride reside? Where is pride in me? In what area? Have to be real careful. God has a way of humbling us if we're not going to humble ourselves. Madeline, you know a little bit about music. I know a little bit about music. And if ever we think we can do something well, I guarantee you, before too many bars of music, we find out, you know, why am I playing in sharps when it's in flats? You know, that sort of thing can happen. And, and all of a sudden, uh, I'll never forget, my mother, fantastic piano player, accompanist, organ player, great, probably the best I've ever heard. And... and uh, I remember one time I stood up to sing. I don't know that I had a great deal of pride, but I probably did. And it was wrong and misplaced. But she played the whole introduction, came up to the lead-in note where I was supposed to sing, and she suddenly realized she was in the wrong key. And so my mother did what any pianist would do at that point. Instead of going on in that key, because she realized I would have been in the stratosphere, she suddenly hit a lower note for it to lead into a lower key, which I had no clue where I was. I couldn't sense where I was because she had done an introduction. For example, she had done an inter introduction in, let's say, E-flat, which is three flats, and then all of a sudden she realized she was supposed to be in C, which is a minor third lower. That, that sounds like Greek to some people, but that, that means from... and. So all of a sudden she hits the note to go into C instead of E-flat, and I'm singing in E-flat, and I go, looking for the note, the lost chord. That did a number on the pride. Whatever pride was there was gone at that point. And yet people came up afterwards and said, hey, you recovered from that pretty well. Yeah, never mind. It took how many you know, notes to finally get where I was supposed to be. God has a way of humbling us. And we need to be humbled. We need to humble ourselves uh, under the mighty uh, hand of God. We need to humble ourselves and pray and seek God's face and desire revival. We need to humble ourselves. And you recall the, the psalmist saying, uh, before I was afflicted, I went astray. Humbling uh, gives us a perspective. And that is this, as I was telling some folks this week. Number one lesson we have to learn, kids, 
as we begin on this journey is He's God and we're not. And we need to yield to Him because He's God and we're not. So Jesus is giving us an example, humbling Himself, becoming obedient unto death. We, we have a spiritual death that we experience. We die to a self-willed way of life. We die to our own desires. We die, die to our own sinful uh, drives in our, in our own flesh. Even the death of the cross. We experience the cross day by day by day by day. As a result of that, God hath highly exalted him. As I was growing in my youth, I remember being told a number of times, you need a, an attitude adjustment. And I picked up on that and realized that's what you tell people when they're out of sorts. You need an attitude adjustment. It may be that they need a nap or they need, they need to go somewhere, take a walk and get their thinking squared away. But an attitude adjustment is so very important. In your bulletin, we have a couple of things that draw attention to that. The little street girl who thought that the nurse was definitely in need of the Savior. And she said, no, I'm saved. And she said, well, I thought because you're so sad. She needed an attitude adjustment. If we are saved, we cannot allow anything in our life or our attitude to send a false message to people that we're not saved. Woodrow Wilson, President of the United States, the son of a Presbyterian minister, was once asked by a zealous soul winner, Mr. President, are you saved? Have you been saved? And he looked back at the soul and he said, I, I want to thank you for asking me. But the fact that it's not self-evident is troubling to me personally. And he, he wanted, he had a desire for people to know that he had trusted Christ. We ought to have a desire, but somebody has said, if, if your heart is happy, then have your heart tell your face. And... Uh, by our life and what we do and by our actions. What did Jesus do in this attitude uh, adjustment, uh, this thing that we're talking about tonight? What did Jesus do? Dr. David Gibbs, Jr., he's the older of the two David Gibbs, uh, wrote this in the CLA Bulletin, the briefcase. He says, the entire Christmas season exists because of the incredible fact that Jesus Christ humbled himself for the world. We know that he loved the whole world and wants none to perish. His example of humility set the stage for the greatest story ever told. Jesus came to earth, born miraculously. When he arrived, there was no room in the inn for the king of kings. But he did, did not come to a palace of gold, although he deserved one. He was wrapped in swaddling clothes, humble cloths for a newborn king. God sent a message to the world that the love he has for us, led by the perfect example, is to be carried out with humility. Jesus washed the feet of his disciples. Jesus performed miracles for those who the world generally cast aside. And then I was just reading this morning uh, how when he met the leper, early on in his ministry, coming out of the village and begging him for healing, the first thing the scripture says is that Jesus reached out and he touched him. That was a no-no. Under other circumstances, no healthy person would touch a leprous person. That's why they were considered untouchables. But the first thing Jesus did was he reached out and he touched 
that leprous person. And he was so impressed with the faith of that individual, he said, go. And he, he was healed. And that was the way Jesus operated. He humbled himself. He did the things that might be considered to be um, out of the ordinary because he had humbled himself. So lepers, the blind, the lame, he had compassion for the multitudes. He showed how to love his neighbor, became sin for us who knew no sin. At this Christmas season, this is Dr. Gibbs saying, we recognize with great amazement the humility of the birth, the humility of the life, the humility of the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. There it is. For Jesus, His first coming was about submission to the perfect will of the Father. We need to understand and emulate that. We need to be prepared to yield ourselves and be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, be directed by the Holy Spirit of God as He was. But for you and for this preacher, it means a spiritual reset. We constantly need to be checking ourselves. Let this mind be in you. This is specific. This, this particular mind. What, what form did it take? The likeness of men. That doesn't mean that we sin to be able to identify with sinners. We already got that one covered. We're already sinners. Sinners by practice and sinners by nature. But we need, we need to be where we can reach people who are sinners. Jesus Christ was in the physical locale where he could interact with and reach people without compromising his sinlessness. He was there. So much so that the religious leaders of the day use that as a point of criticism saying, Jesus eats with sinners. Jesus consorts with sinners. Why, if, if Jesus were really who he says he is, he wouldn't let that woman touch him because doesn't he know uh, that she's a sinful woman? And so on and so forth. Well, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But rather than shrinking from interaction with people, no matter where they've been and what they've done, Jesus Christ made himself, I guess we would have to say, available. Jesus Christ was available. How available are we to needy people all around us? People who are not yet Christians. How available are you? I, I happen to know some of you have made yourselves very available this week. You've been talking to people about Jesus. I understand that. Made yourself available to those that may have questions. And did Jesus ever uh, impatiently put somebody off? No, Jesus may have addressed individuals or uh, answered questions in such a manner as to force people to face reality. But he was never impatient with them. He always took time, whether it was children or adults, whether they were uh, in his inner circle or whether they were in, in the multitude, the great mass of people that came to hear him, regardless of that, let this mind be in you, likeness of men. He identified with, he was there with, very important. Last week we talked about intervention. 
by the God-man in time and space, even though he was not subject to time and space prior to his incarnation. He came and identified with. He intervened, he identified with, and was intimate in the sense that he's right there. We happen to know that he had no uh, permanent address down here. He didn't have a place to lay his head. He said, the foxes have hold, the birds have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. He was that much of uh, transient in that sense, but it was to be with people. It wasn't just to prove uh, uh, some intellectual point. It was to practically be near people. That's what he did. I have a friend who goes where the people are. He fishes where the spiritual fish are. He goes down to uh, metro stops in another state and stands there at the metro stop until the next, uh, next one comes down the line and he's preaching and doing street witnessing right there during that time until that crowd goes and the next crowd comes. And then he's preaching to them. He's going where the people are. He's making himself available. I know a man who started a church in a downtown urban setting. It was basically a, a rescue mission. And it became, it developed into a regular New Testament independent Baptist church. And he pastored it for over three decades. I know him personally, but he went where the people are. He went to reach them. Jesus came where needy souls were. And we need to go where needy people are. He humbled himself. That means sometimes we have to do the uncomfortable, the difficult. He became obedient unto death. Uh, he, was, he was willing to die that disgraceful death of the cross to fulfill the plan of God. So this represents yielding to the details of God's plan. When we do that, remember what I said, that does not diminish our role in this world. When God leads us into an area of service, into a place where we're going to be rubbing elbows with people, uh, people we don't know, people who may not have a clue, people who may uh, still be disrespectful, people who may uh, not have any idea about uh, the, the seriousness of this whole process, we are not going to be diminished by coming down, by being humbled, by, by being afflicted, by being obedient, by identifying with others. There are going to be some inconveniences, obviously. Being born in that stable area, being laid in that manger, even coming uh, by this form of birth, uh, the difficulties, uh, fleeing to Egypt until after the death of Herod, it was safe to come back, growing up in a household, having people whisper and talk about your, your origin and talk about your mom, as no doubt Jesus Christ and Mary experienced gossip in that little town of Nazareth, uh, being raised with nothing wrong with hard work, but physical labor. He was no stranger to that, growing up in the carpenter shop uh, surroundings and so forth, and then an itinerant ministry and being outside so much and being among the people so much, it's, it's got its limitations. We need to look at it through God's eyes. 
the Son of God, God the Son, was there where people could reach Him. The woman who struggled for the, through the crowd to reach up and touch the hem of His garment. And when she did, I don't understand that. That's a great mystery to me. But I know that it happened. Jesus felt virtue go out of Him. And He turned around to His disciples and said, Who touched me? She came seeking and she got what she came seeking from Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is everything and all that we'll ever need. She touched the hem of His garment. That virtue flowed through her. There was a healing that took place. A change took place. And Jesus said, Who touched me? Who touched me? And the disciples said, What do you mean, who touched you? We're in a crowd. All kinds of people are... No, there was one specific touch. May I say this? Many people have many needs, but on that day, in that place, she was the only one that needed that particular thing, and Jesus provided it. And whoever you are, out there or in here, wherever you are, whatever you need, or whatever others may need, as we are yielded to the, the work of the Lord, we're servants representing, ambassadors representing Jesus Christ. There are billions of people on this planet. They all need something. But whatever that person needs, it may be that you didn't even know them before the sun came up and you crossed paths with them and there you are. I know you've been down this road and you're talking with somebody and all of a sudden it becomes very, very clear, or at least more clear, that God put you in that divine appointment. In that way, we point them to Jesus. They don't need us. They need the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we can be the channel of blessing, then that's what we are to be, even though it may inconvenience us. What are you talking about? I'm talking about sometimes you can't lead a person to Christ and help them to understand that Jesus Christ is all they need in a rehearsed presentation. You may have to quote scripture and talk with them, listen to them, and engage them for more than just a few seconds or even a few minutes. It may be a long time. It may be over the course of a number of days or weeks. And it may, <clears throat> may represent somewhat of an inconvenience as we think of ourselves. But I am not my own. I'm bought with a price. I belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. He purchased me lock, stock, and barrel from the crown of my head to the soles of my feet. I'm not here for me. That's one of the things I wrote down. I was going through my files, and I found on my 50th birthday, which is a long time ago, I wrote down 50 lessons that God had taught me in my life. I know that's probably presumptuous to pick out 50, but 50 things. And... One of those 50 things is I'm so glad that I was taught that I have been continuing to learn. It's been reaffirmed again and again and again that I'm not here for me. That's not why I'm here. God has a perfect plan for me and it's not about me. God has something for me to do. Tonight, tomorrow, each day of this week, I'm going to be in that position, understanding that. Looking at this through God's eyes. Lowering, lowering ourselves because where we've put ourselves may, may put ourselves in a place where we can't serve effectively. Do you ever think about that? 
Humbling may put us exactly where we need to be for God to work through us. Humbling. Our life is not our own. So, we need to ask ourselves some questions. Would we be willing to go out into the world and to deal with people that are cast aside? People that are looked down upon? Are we willing to identify with them? Are we willing to be a channel to bring Jesus Christ to them? The spiritual lepers, the spiritually blind, the spiritually lame. Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to do that? I remember the first time I visited a man in prison. Now, I've, I've visited a lot of prisoners over the years. And um, some on death row. I remember one, one pre-Christmas, I went down the entire death row of a major prison in a southern state. And I had freedom to walk up and down there. And I was able to reach through and take them by the hands and pray with them. And we had a number of decisions for Christ. You say, oh, well, that's just death row. And there's no, when you're talking death row, there's no just. There's no just. These people are going to be electrocuted or they're going to die by lethal injection uh, unless something else happens. And they're facing eternity without Jesus Christ unless we share Jesus Christ with them. And so, uh, most of the prisoners with whom I have ever had any dealings have been welcoming. They've been very open and, and glad to have me. And the fact that I would come in and spend time with them is accepted. And I didn't do, by the way, I didn't do anything extraordinary. It's just a little something we all have, and that is we have some time. It's what we do with that time. And we have some energy. It's what we do with that energy. And if you've had an experience with Jesus Christ, you've got an experience in, and you can't keep it to yourself. You've got to share it. But there was one man I went to visit one time. And I was ushered into a private room. They allowed me to be in a room with this fellow that was in lockup. And he basically resisted everything that I said. I said, you know, God loves you more than I can tell you. He said, I don't give me that stuff. I'm not... That's, you know, and he, he would cuss and swear and just, just use every kind of uh, device that he had. And I realized why he was doing that, because we were in a spiritual battle. And his unsaved life at that moment was the battlefield. And that's where the devil was battling to hold on. And I was coming with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I said, look, I've, I've come in here. And my time is your time. I, I, I would be happy to answer your questions. And, and I would like to be able to present to you the claims of Jesus Christ. And I did so. And he came up with all the stock, you know, the um, oh, pretty juvenile arguments that uh, agnostics will use. And so having had a little background in apologetics, I was able to deal with those and to field them, but he would just keep throwing them at me and throwing them at me. It was obvious to me that at that point in time, it was not his desire to, to know anything about Jesus Christ, and it was not his desire uh, to receive anything that I had to offer him. But I'll tell you what, when I got done with that meeting and I left, that individual told his relatives, do you know, Pastor Winnegar was the first person 
to ever take everything that I dished out. So, for whatever that may count, that individual's no longer behind bars. And someday that individual's going to need help. And the last conversation I had with that individual, he said to me, if ever I wanted to receive your Christ, I would want you to lead me to him. So that's where we are. Now, I'm not, I don't feel any better that that person's still lost. But I am glad that we made ourselves available. That we made ourselves in the likeness of men. That we humbled ourselves. We became obedient, dying to self. It, yes, there are some inconveniences in it. But God will bless every believer who is willing to follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ and lower ourselves so that we're not worried about how we appear, but just be obedient to the Lord. Do what He says. Reach those spiritual lepers and touch them spiritually. Reach those spiritually blind and by the grace of God, help them to see the kingdom of God. By the grace of God, help the spiritually lame to claim the healing that comes by receiving Jesus Christ as personal Savior. Tonight I'm glad that Jesus is real. Glad there is a God. He is the God of the Bible. The Bible tells us everything we need to know about Him. The Bible tells us about the coming of our Savior Jesus Christ. And historically I accept the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But personally, the transformation that takes place is the strongest witness and testimony to the veracity of Scripture on the subject of Jesus Christ coming down, humbling Himself, and doing that so that we would understand this is the way. As I was a young boy coming up, my dad had to show me how to use a lawnmower. He had to show me how to use hedge clippers. He had to show me uh, how to take care of the yard. And in his taking time and showing me how to do that, I became adept at a lawnmower, hedge clippers, etc. And the first job I ever held for money outside of my home was mowing lawns, clipping hedges, doing that kind of work. Why? Because my dad had taken time to do that. When he started with me, he didn't say, son, you are so ignorant. You don't know how to do that. You don't know that. But he took time with me and showed me. Showed me by example how to push that lawnmower, how to work those hedge clippers, how to do that kind of work. I learned from him. And on every other level of, of work, my dad taught me by example. I know that that's not a perfect illustration, but that's what Jesus Christ did when He came down. He came down to seek and to save the lost, but also to show us how we are to live with the servant's heart, servant's hands, servant's feet. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the message spoke to my heart. Slip your hand up high. Something spoke to my heart. Amen? Amen. God bless you. I trust that... Tonight, we'll go from this place and determine to do just that. Allow the Lord to work through us. Amen. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray from your heart right now to God something like this? Dear God, 
I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. God bless you. Thank you.